Welcome to QSMU, where we share inspiring stories and ideas, helping you to find a lifestyle true to yourself. Welcome to episode three. My name is Freddie Saliba, and today we're talking with our guest about her experience moving from Russia with her family when she was four and how she grew up with two very different cultural lifestyles, Russian home life and Australian school life and social life. Let's get into the episode, shall we? Welcome. Today I'd like to welcome Maria, a good friend who I studied my therapy with years ago. Today we're going to talk about her childhood and how it's impacted her then and now. As she and her parents moved from Russia to Australia when, at what age? I was four. And then your parents decided to go back to Russia, leaving you in Australia. Yeah. (laughs) What age was that in the end? 18. What was the reason your parents ended up coming across in the first place? Yeah, okay. So my mum's Russian, my dad's Serbian. And they were together in the 80s and Russia was still communist and I think Serbia was as well. And so it was really awkward for them because there was a lot of kind of Like Russia didn't want foreigners coming in for too long, but if my mum left and went to live somewhere else, she would lose Russian citizenship. And so there was all this like bureaucratic stuff. And then there was also um, political instability. So they had wars kind of on the horizon and there was all sorts of government bad things. So people were trying to get out and my dad had two or three degrees. So he applied for a, it's called a skilled migrant visa um, and I think they applied for Canada as well that's what people do over there they just scatter scatter on like the application process they just want to get out and Australia accepted them so they were like awesome let's get out so look my parents were really spontaneous so they just like packed a bag and were like okay cool why like he borrowed money from his dad my dad borrowed money from his own dad for the ticket and they just got on the plane And I remember we arrived in Melbourne Airport when I was four. So I'd just turned four. So I was very small. And, yeah, it was 1991. And they just turned up at the airport. And they were just like, yep, here we are. Like they had no idea where they were going to go from the airport. I don't know what they thought in their heads. I think they thought there would be stuff in place, like where are we going to go. I don't know. But, of course, there's no stuff in place. But my dad's now a orthodox priest at the time he wasn't a priest but like they were religious so they had faith in god and all this and so the amazing thing was that they met a serbian guy at the airport that was there for a separate reason and they got chatting and my dad's there like oh hey we just arrived i have nowhere like we have no idea where we're going and this guy was like well actually i can take you somewhere where you can stay for a while and it was a Serbian monastery that there was places there we could stay. So we stayed there for a while until my parents got like a rental or whatever. In um in retrospect, my dad was like, there actually is something in place. You actually there is like a government thing that you can go and like apply for and stay there for a while when you first arrive, but we didn't know that. So how was their uh, language skills? Well, not too bad actually. My dad is a linguist, like one of his degrees is is linguistics and he knows like 10 languages. It's ridiculous. He like, he literally as a hobby learns ancient Hebrew just for fun. 
So he knew English fairly well. Like he has an accent, but it's it's okay. And my mum did apparently a diploma to teach English over in Russia. But I think their level of teaching maybe wasn't as good as what my dad got because her only English is not as good. But she speaks it still, but with a much worse accent. Yeah, not too bad English. I had zero, like nothing. They didn't think ahead to start teaching me early, so... Do you remember any sort of difficulties at that age? Obviously four, but... Oh, I remember everything and it was horrendous. But language-wise? Well, the hard thing is I really struggled because my parents used to rely heavily on their parents back in both Russia and Serbia. And so my grandparents, particularly the two grandmothers and particularly my mum's mum, would look after me a lot. And so then my parents just like brought me to Australia and there was a lot less support and they didn't have childcare, they didn't have any support in the country. So that that was hard. I didn't have my grandparents anymore and and yeah, everyone that was not Russian or Serbian is speaking a different language. But we did hang out in the Russian and Serbian communities a lot back when I was little. So it kind of eased me in a little bit. Um, but starting school was was awful because I, I did know a little bit of English because I didn't start school till I was seven. In Russia, you don't start school till you're seven. And so my mum was like, I'm not doing that. Did you go to like kindergarten or any sort of integration before seven? No. Um, no. So No. <laughs> were you able to learn any English but before seven? Well, look. To be fair, they did try childcare, which I suppose was a kindergarten when I was a bit younger and I hated it because I didn't know the language, I didn't know the culture and I was really shy and it did rock me, like coming to Australia did rock me so I didn't feel secure and so I just like cried the whole time and told my parents I never wanted to go back and so they stopped taking me and we tried two different places. I had a bit of English there and then there was like a little bit of English just like from TV and... um, just walking around the street, being in the shop and stuff like that. So, look, I did have I did have some by the time I was seven because I came when I was four, so it's already three years later. Not so much that I felt extremely confident with it. How was it when you ended up getting to school with, uh, with friends and did you feel like there was a big cultural, obviously, language gap as well? But The cultural stuff actually was a lot worse than the language because the language you can learn, you know, and I would practice and once you've got a good amount of words you know you just build on that and you can learn a language like that was almost the easy part the hard part was the cultural stuff because you go home your parents are like in a totally different world a totally different world to the people that you're interacting with every single day at school that was really hard that was crazy 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 (laughs) do you feel that that's part because they didn't really integrate too well into Australian society or is it that they found it more difficult themselves or in retrospect? Look, I don't know. It's really hard. They do click together, the migrants, a little bit and they think that their way of life is, is, you know, good and whatever and so they do stick together and so they don't end up having a lot of Australian friends and particularly my mum didn't even really try to integrate. She didn't, she doesn't really understand why she should. She was like, well, you know, this is me. Why should I change to be with Australians um yeah so definitely they didn't integrate and that did make it hard and but the Australians also like not that it's their fault but it was weird for them they're like who's this person probably back then as well yeah and back then yeah 
now would be a little bit easier, I would say. But Yeah, definitely. But, like, to be honest, my parents are pretty weird. Like, my dad has long hair and long beard. And he quite often, because he's a priest and he's really proud of it, he wears his priest clothes a lot. <laughs> so he looks like a Muslim terrorist a lot of the time. <laughs> so, you know, that's just him. And I think he's cute and everything. But the, the average Australian is, is intimidated and all that. So it's pretty hard for him to make Australian friends but did you move much around once you got into Australia or did you find that house and the rental uh, and stay there that is a whole nother another thing um so no so my parents moved about 15 times while we were in would not have been easy no so yeah so obviously that didn't help my shyness I was very very shy they just couldn't settle they just would say so them. They went from the little monastery. We found like a little space that belonged to somebody, and then we found a rental. And then that rental ran out. We found another rental. That rental ran out. We found another rental. It just went on and on and on. And then when I was eight, my mum had had enough and moved back to Russia for a year. I don't know why. She just decided to do that. So she took me with her. So I was in Russia for a year. I know we went to school there for a while. So that was interesting. New one? Yeah, I didn't know that one. There's always something new. And then I don't know if they'd had an argument and they made up or what happened, but then we ended up going back to Australia. But this time it was Sydney. So we were in two different houses in Sydney. Then we moved to Geelong. So it was... Your dad still in Melbourne? No, no, he didn't come to Russia, but he did the Sydney and the Geelong and everything. So it's like we had a break from my dad for a year. I'm not sure why. I don't know if they had a fight, like I said, or if she just had enough and just wanted to be at home for a while. They didn't really talk about it. Originally, it was like a rental thing, like not finding a rental that stayed. But then my dad was all involved in the church and he became, they call it a deacon. It's like just before you become a priest, like a halfway to a priest. It's like an army job, well, his was, where the bishop, who is your boss, can tell you to go live anywhere that they want. Some priests do find a place that they stay for a long time, but my dad didn't, so he did a lot of, like, casual priest work, so that's why we moved around all the time. (laughs) It's hard to explain. It was like he'd be at a church for a few months, so we'd move there, but then he, they wouldn't want to keep him forever. Like, he maybe wasn't the best at making long-term relationships. So then we would move on to the next church. You've told me in the past, especially in the teenage years, you had a bit of rebellious nature. Yes. <laughs> uh, which hearing this whole story, you can definitely yes, understand. you can understand. What sort of things... What are we talking about? Okay, okay. So hang on, let me just get the story. So we went to Geelong. So we went to Geelong in like late primary school, right? So then we moved to Frankston in Melbourne. And Frankston in Melbourne has a bit of a reputation for having some rough people there but you know like we didn't have a lot of money so that we ended up getting a commission house there so that's why we went there and my dad ended up getting a priest job there and I was there for a few years then we got a he got a priest job in in Geelong again so then we we moved to Werribee because he was like oh it's halfway anyway so I hit high school just as we moved to Frankston and I was actually nerdy and shy Um, I liked to read. I did not know about clothes yet. And I was just like, oh, you know, church and stuff. And then hit high school in a rough area. And the kids were like taking drugs at the Oval and swearing, using words I'd never heard in my life and um, all, all those kinds of things. 
And, you know, like I'm adaptive, I'm resilient, and I was like, I need friends. So it was really hard actually for a while to balance the religious stuff at home and, you know, being a little bit shy compared to like I need to be a little bit tough at school, I need to swear, I need to, you know, I need to start talking about sex. Like what the hell is sex? Like I'm 12, like... Like, I thought that I would only talk about sex when I got married. Like, my dad's a priest. <laughs> anyway, um, so, look, I balanced it. So, this was in Werribee? No, this was in Frankston. So, I went, so year seven and eight, I did it at a Frankston school called Monterey, and it was a really rough school at the time. Um, and, look, I, did, I actually did okay. I was, still was able to study and be smart and have a few friends. I kind of found that middle ground in between not too the one you know those kids that are like not too nerdy but they're not like the bitchy popular kids either they're kind of that in between where people say hi to them but then they get their own group I had my I had a few little friends but I hated it there because it was too rough for me and it was like people always got bitchy with each other and got different friends you'd come to school and your friend wanted to be friends with all these different people and you're like oh my god so I wasn't happy I started to get depressed you know, like looking back, what happened was my mental health started seriously deteriorating. Um, but at the time, I wasn't able to understand that. I just I just thought I was getting sad over this thing. Then I got sad over that thing. I started crying a lot at home, like hormonal stuff's coming through, puberty. And my parents, they have their own mental health issues themselves, plus the religious stuff, plus the cultural stuff. They were just not able to be there for me. You know, imagine a an Orthodox priest trying to deal with a an Australian teenager at home, like, no, couldn't comprehend in any way. And I didn't even know what I needed. You don't know what you need. So one thing I decided after two years at that school, I said, I need to move schools. I'm not happy. I'm getting sad here. I think it's that the friendship groups keep changing and the school's a bit too rough. And my parents said, okay, which school do you want? So then I just... I decided I wanted to go to Mount Eliza, but they wouldn't have me because I wasn't zoned there. And then we had a, an acquaintance that went to Patterson River, which is like in Carrum, just, just another school that's not too far away, basically. And so I just decided to go there because I knew like one person that went there. So I changed schools. So I was at that school in year nine and I loved that. That was great. And it was a bit better because like I actually made some friends that – they didn't keep changing around like that. That was it was okay, and the school was a lot more positive. So I was doing pretty well there, and I thought this is it. Like I'm going to stay here. This is great. And I even met Zach there, who I ended up marrying. But we didn't get together at school. We just met each other, and we got together later. You know, I started to make friends and everything, and I started to feel settled. And then my parents go, "Oh, your dad's changing churches again at the end of year nine, and we're going to move to Werribee." He's getting a church in Geelong. So just for people, year nine, so about 15, correct? So I was, I was 15. Um, so, yeah, so I just started settling in and thinking that I've got this thing sorted and my parents wanted to move again and I just lost it. I was like, I can't. I can't do this again. And they were like, well, too bad. Like, I'm really sorry you're sad about it, but what are we going to do? So they, bought, they even bought a house. They bought a house in Werribee. And they moved me and I was was not able to cope. We got Patterson to Werribee would be, what, two, three-hour drive? 
It's probably an hour and a half driving, but on the train, when you're 15 on the train, it's two hours just sitting on the train, so it's probably two and a half by the time you've walked to the station. So completely opposite side of Melbourne. Yeah, the opposite side of town, basically. Um, and I'd made some good friends, one friend in particular, in in like Patterson area, and the last thing in the world I wanted to do was move again. I think that my... Um, years of insecurities finally caught up with me and I just lost it like I did go to the new school in Werribee for a while and I turned 16 and I think 16 is like an iconic age for just going crazy um if you've got any issues they're all coming out when you're 16 just throwing it out there or 17 absolutely going to happen at 17 if it didn't happen at 16 are you ready with Archer that's another whole topic because I'm I'm getting ready now my son's too I'm like trying to put in things in place to avoid all the issues I had already. Yeah, so anyway, so we moved to this new school in Werribee and I did make a few friends, whatever. I was just so not happy that I was like literally, I started coming home and crying every night. Like I just lost it. And on the weekends, I'd get on the train and I'd go and see my old friends in, in that Frankston kind of area. And then I'd come back like Sunday night, Monday morning and just like trudge through school, fall asleep in the classes I think I was, honestly, I think I was having a a bit of a nervous breakdown. But at the time, of course, you don't know. Yeah, so I was still half functioning. You know, you can actually have this thing where you're having a nervous breakdown, but you're still getting through the day. But that's not right. It's not good, you know, because I'd get through the class and I was smart. So I could whip out an essay in an hour and be like, yeah, I've passed, whatever. But then I'd go and like cry myself to sleep at 5 p.m. Then I'd like wake up call my friends back in Seaford for a while and then go back to sleep. Like, it's just stupid. These days, mental health is also so much more uh, talked about, so a bit easier. You would have had a bit more of an idea but if it happened to you right now. Whereas back then, when we were kids, it, you know, you had a little bit, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such an important thing to talk about. And the only kind of mental health stuff you knew about was like, okay, if you hear voices... Or if you're so bad that you have to go to the hospital, which I wasn't. And if it's that bad, then you it's obvious, you know. That's what I thought a mental breakdown would look like. So I was like, oh, no, I'm not having a mental breakdown. I'm crying four times a day, but I'm still going to school. Stupid. Anyway, um, then it all came to a head when I was 16 and a half, I think. I started the next year and I just couldn't do it anymore. I just lost it again, like to another level. And I... Um, I was arguing at home with my parents a lot because I was kind of moving away a little bit from the religiousness and I was asking questions, what about this to do with religion, what about that, and they couldn't answer. They don't know the answer. Like re- religious people, like it's great that they have their religion and everything, but sometimes it's not based in a, a reality. And then if there's some really real questions that you get asked, they just don't know the answer. These days, do you consider yourself religious? It's kind of hard. Um to answer that question because it is it is a little bit in between I'm not religious in the way that my mum and dad are religious my mum and dad will read the bible and they will try to literally implement that into their life now I think that's a little bit outdated these days so I took the things that I like so I took spirituality I still like Jesus I still like praying but I like doing it kind of from the heart, more in a meditative way, I guess more in a new age. They call it new age these days where you sit down and you connect to your heart and you get guidance from there and not literally just reading the book 
that was written 2,000 years ago, oh, I'm going to do what Joseph did. No, you're not. You're not going to do what Joseph did. It was too long ago. Like, you need to apply it to the context of everyday life. So I, I actually stopped going to church when I had this meltdown when I was 16. I don't know about your religion anymore. I don't want to go to your church anymore. I don't want to go to school anymore. I don't want to live with you anymore. And I um, moved away from all that. But I took the spiritual side with me and I still prayed and everything. And I discovered meditation, which is just amazing. And now lately I've been going to church again. I found like a really relaxed version of my dad's church. So they they still do the prayers that my dad does, but they're very, very relaxed people. <laughs> and so I've been going there a little bit. Yeah, so to answer your question, I still kept some of it. Yeah. Because I didn't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, just to, just to summarise that one. So at that stage when you were saying you threw threw everything away did that mean you moved out of home yes. at that age as well at 16 and a half. half so just a few months before I turned 17 um so my friend I had one really really good friend I was close to that lived in um Seaford so it was kind of near that area of those school that school that I liked and I used to come to her and say oh I'm arguing with my mom and it's hectic and I hate it and I'm crying all the time after a few months of that I mean, her parents could see this friend's coming over crying all the time. And her parents said, look, if you want to stay, you can stay. We've got some space. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I um, I went into the school in Werribee. I went back to Werribee, went to the school, said I'm quitting, not doing this anymore, went into my parents and said I'm leaving. I can't do this. And I actually said, I had the inside, I said to them, we will argue less if I don't live here. And it actually might preserve our relationship, what's left of it, if I don't live here and I need to get away. And I moved out and went to stay with this friend. And my parents flipped. How did they react? <laughs> well, look, my dad's very understanding. He did freak out, but he tried to understand as much as he could. He's, you know, religious and all that. And he was like, oh, you know, like it was sad for him, but he tried to cope as much as he could. And my mum totally lost it for two years, would call me and be like, what are you doing? You're being ridiculous. Can we can we sort this out? What if we move to a different area? Like, are you pregnant? Are you gay? Like, what's happening? She, she was just trying to find answers and she could not understand that it was a mental health was a thing, that I needed more support in my life than I was getting. She just couldn't understand any of that. It was it was like, oh, you must be pregnant and you don't want to tell us. I'm like, dude, if I was pregnant, I would tell you, like, I'm not pregnant. I'm, I'm not well. The thing is that when I was 18, so after those two years, so 16 to 18, she would call and try to sort it out in whatever way she thought could work. And I was like, it's not going to work. I'm not coming home. Then they were like, stuff it, we're moving back to Russia. And so they moved back to Russia. How did you feel about that? Well, it was mixed feelings because on one end I was like, well, we'll argue less and there'll be more space in our lives. But on the other hand, I felt abandoned in a way as well. Part of them always wanted to move back to Russia because they didn't really fit in. But they were like, oh, Maria goes to school here and blah, blah. And I was like, I'm not moving back to Russia. But then when they realised that I had actually moved out for real, the thing is like my mum's mum was sick and they wanted to go over there to help her. And so some of it was circumstance. They went over there to help my sick grandma and then my dad ended up finding a priest job there and it was a really good priest job. And ironically, he's been there for 10 years now 
Oh, maybe it's even been 12 years. So he actually found that like long-term priest job that he never found in Australia and they decided to stay. So it wasn't like totally like, oh, stuff that you were moving, but it, it was kind of like, well, we don't need to hold on to Australia anymore and we can find something else. Yeah, so then I was 18 and alone in the country and then I obviously did some experimenting with drinking and boys and all the rest of it. Um, that nobody to answer to and all that. But, you know, I'm a good person. I didn't do anything too bad. <laughs> do you feel that you're a bit behind the eight ball on that factor, experimenting and oh, it's quite the same to where everyone was at in the end? The good friend of mine that I, I had been living with, she was the same age as me. But I think she she had some issues herself. So we probably both got into it late. Like we didn't start drinking till we actually turned 18, which is definitely a little bit behind so probably from 18 to 22 was my was my drinking phase you know some people go through that from 14 or whatever it is I think it's getting younger and younger these days yeah (laughs) I think it's terrible though because the brain's still developing so it actually is better to do it later so I think I ended up doing it later as well it was probably like seven yeah yeah you're still doing it now aren't you (laughs) oh yeah definitely (laughs) Not as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I was in uh, uh, Cusco in Peru and it was just night after night and I just thought, no, I'm too old for this. I can't do this. I need a break. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Give me like one, one, two times a week, not not every night. Not every night. You just get tired. You get tired. <laughs> and you've got things to do as That's well. That's right. You've got adult stuff to do. <laughs> so how is uh, your relationship with your parents now? You went back to Serbia. Yeah. Uh, you met them in Serbia this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you told me it was a bit bit of a confrontation being in the third world. Actually now got a pretty good relationship. So what we had to work out who we like personality differences and things like that so it was awkward for a while because I was I was living a lifestyle that was different you know like they would have had me marry young and go straight into having kids but then at the same time they would have had me study and become like a doctor or something I don't know how I was meant to do both but you know and and um and yeah I had boyfriends and um I studied at my own pace and I didn't have a kid till I was 29 and and I got tattoos. I got heaps of tattoos, you know. They had to really come to terms with a few things. I remember a story you were telling when you're, you're, you called up your mother and she was saying, you know, why why haven't you had kids with, with Zach? Yeah. Um, you know, and you're like, I'm not ready, not looking. You know, I'm not, I'm like 28 or. Yeah. So, and she said something like, oh, I'll put a hole in the condom. Oh, yes, and, yes. Old, <laughs> old, um. Old logic. This is the kind of things that they talk about. Do you know what it is? Like that aside, like that makes her sound totally crazy and like in some ways she is. But to be fair, if I look at their culture, like I know it's hilarious, but if you look at their culture, I hope you don't mind me going off topic a little bit, but in Russia, like they have they have massive issues with this kind of problem because they they have wars. Like it's a, it's a harder country to be in. So they – World War Two. I don't know if you know much of the World War II history, but World War One, World War II absolutely destroyed a lot of the population. So many people died. And obviously only men usually, like there are some women that go to war, but as a general rule, you're losing men every time you get 
a war. So in Russia, World War One killed massive, huge, huge amounts of men. World War Two killed huge amounts of men. In Russia, the government like just throws men at the wars, and they win. They win a lot of the wars, but they take disgusting amount of of casualties. Then Stalin, Stalin genocided his own his own population. So you know they talk about the Nazis genociding the Jews. Well, Stalin genocided Russians, and I'm pretty sure he killed more Russians than than um, Hitler killed Jews. So it's horrendous. It's horrendous. And so there was just men dying for years and years and years and years. And so there wasn't many men in Russia. So if you think about, if you take away from the war and think about what was going on in the villages and the women, in the villages, the women are there crying over the men. Okay, now we're over it. Now what do we do? You know, there's not many men. They're, you know, some of the men might come back from the war alive. Some of them might come back wounded. If they're not wounded, they're psychologically, they've got PTSD. They're drinking. So in Russia, if you've got a problem, you drink. You drink a bottle of vodka. You don't even drink a glass of vodka. You drink a bottle of vodka. You might drink two bottles of vodka. You know, then you die young. Your liver conks out at 50. Okay, like, I'm, like this is serious stuff over there. <laughs> like, it's funny. Like, it's funny when you think about it when I'm in Australia. But it's, it's like a real shit over there. Like, a good man over there is is like a shining diamond. It's just people fight over it. They fight over it. It's serious shit. So that's where my mum was coming from. That's something you're going to prepare Archer for when you... <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, you're going to be a shining diamond over there. Like, get down there. You're going to find yourself a wife. <laughs> kind of, you get the same, similar feel to what's going on in Thailand, how you see the Thai brides coming over with the older men. There's a lot of that kind of stuff going on in Russia. You see the younger women with the older men. The women are like, man, he can support me. That's all I need. There's a lot of that going on. So that's why there's this culture of like, hold on to the man, get him to have a kid with you. If you get him to have a kid with you, he's now stuck to you. He's not going to wander off. And, you know, and it's funny and it's disgusting. doesn't work like that in not Australia. In Australia. But... I always tell her. I always tell her. It's not like that in Australia. And, look, she's she's coming around now. She's older now. She's like really calmed down and she... Quite often will say to me, oh, but you guys are different in Australia. You guys are different in Australia. So she stopped putting her ideals onto my life, but she used to. When, when was that? That's since you had? It's been an ongoing process. When I turned 21, something dropped off where she was like, I don't think I'm responsible for you anymore. You're an adult now. So that helped a lot. And I started visiting them, you know. I started saying, okay, I'll come visit you just for a few weeks and then I'm coming home. And that's okay. And then... If my mum started arguing, I learnt to either say, oh, yes, okay, or cut the conversation, hang up the phone, walk out of the room, like just not get into the arguments. And so that sort of established a boundary. So it sort of showed her to not bother getting into arguments. So now we don't we don't argue. But it took years to get to that stage. Well, you were saying before about going to Serbia. Yeah, I just saw them. We went to Serbia together to visit some other family and it was, look, it was nice. It was lovely and they love having Archie. And, of course, since having Archie now, to answer your other question, yes, it is like, oh, you're, you're now a woman with, with your own family. So she doesn't tell me what to do anymore. How would you find your childhood has impacted the way your your relationship with Zach and also starting a family as well? Coming from a history of getting anxious, getting shy, fighting a lot, screaming at home, not having your needs met, not being understood at home, always trying to say, no, this is how it is for me. I was so messed up, 
So I've got heaps of therapy, like heaps. <laughs> and it's been great. And I read lots of books. So I never had this relationship with my mother where you're like, oh, I have a question about life. I'm just, I'm just going to call my mother. I've never had that. So I read a book. And so I've read like dozens of books. My husband, Zach's read hundreds. It's ridiculous. You know, books have the answer. There, if there's a question out there, there is a book about it that has a fucking amazing answer. So, so yeah, so look, it's made it hard. It's made relationships hard and it's hard to trust people. Um, you know, there's a thing in the back of my head they're going to move away or whatever. And Oh, and moving around a lot made it hard to have long-term relationships with people because you would meet someone and then you would move. So I've had to really learn. I've had to kind of take a step back and learn how to have relationships as an adult. And that's that's been good. And then I can kind of make choices to do with my son that... I know they're good choices because I've stepped away. I've read a book about it. I've thought about it. I've learned not to just. I've learned not to just let my own instinct take over and just be like, oh, but I feel this and you know, no, okay, I feel a lot of stuff all the time, but I'm just going to step back and think about it. Have you been able to reconnect or connect with people over the? the years from your, your travels i know we've got a, a friend april that you reconnected with but anyone else not many so there's a, a girl april who i lived in geelong for three and a half years so the places i guess where i lived for a bit longer so geelong i lived in for three and a half years so it's still my record three and a half years is my record of staying in one place in my whole life so but there are a few places that have three and a half years. So I did do Geelong for three and a half years. So I kept a friend from there. We did lo- lose touch, but I got back in touch with her through Facebook, which is amazing. It's amazing how Facebook has opened up this world of reconnecting with people that, you know. Yeah, that you would have lost. Without, without Facebook, you would never have been able to connect that. And you hear it all the time, I think. It's amazing. And then this this friend that I ended up moving out with, you know, I stayed in touch with her and then I married Zach. We got in touch with Facebook as well when I was older because I, like, added all my old school friends and so we, I ended up, you know, marrying one of them. Apart from that, though, not really. You were talking about um, setting up systems in place for Archer for when you yes. were 16, 17. I just wanted to know if you could delve into that one a little bit more. To be honest, that's a whole I could talk all day. I'll try and keep it brief. Basically, back to the reading lots of books. I've been reading a lot about how to parent in a way that is, they use the word aware or positive, but they're just silly little words, you know. But basically, parenting in a way that, I guess consciously, like instead of just being like, oh, my God, I'm so annoyed right now and I'm just going to tell him off. There's none of that because the, the fact is if you look at the research, if you if you actually like look at how that affects the kids, they've done research on things like punishment, it doesn't work. All that punishment does is it it gets in the way of your own relationship with your son. If, you, if, if your son does something and you punish him, like they don't get it. All they get is that you're crazy. Like it's like dog training. You know, if you scream at your dog, the dog thinks you're crazy. It doesn't think, oh, I shouldn't wee on the carpet. It doesn't actually connect in the brain. It doesn't work. They say also, like with the dog, now thinking about it definitely relates to humans too. When you yell at them, they just get more anxious and raised up and they get more That's angry. That's exactly right. They get into defense mode, just like kids. If exactly. If you're yelling, you think, okay, let's fight or flight mode. And the other thing is, it's not what you say, it's actually what you do that they will copy. So a child will become what you are, not what you say. So if a child sees you yelling, they will yell. 
They will yell at others. They will yell at you. So if you're yelling, you're going to get yelling back. You're going to see a child yelling at other people and he's going to have an insecure issues for the rest of his life yelling at people. It's just not ideal, you know. So it's actually about consciously going, I feel like yelling. I'm really mad right now. But that's not going to help. So I'm just going to step back a little bit. What's he trying to do? He's throwing a toy because he wants connection with me. He's he's bored. He's not been out all day. And he's trying to get my attention in the sense of he wants someone to be there for him. You know, if you look at the intention of the child rather than the actual behavior. And then you go, okay, it looks to me like you have lots of energy today and I can't have you throwing toys because you're going to hurt somebody. Can't have you doing that because you still have boundaries. But how about we go outside and get some of that energy out? It's about finding a solution that works for everybody. It's quite interesting since you've had a child and I've observed all this and we've spoken a bit about it as well noticing you know other parents out and you know restaurants not I guess sort of judging uh, but <laughs> we try not to judge we try, <laughs> try to, not we try to. to care we try to care <laughs> but you know when you see just a child having a tantrum or something I just realized since understanding and talking to you it's they often just ignore whereas you go hang on let's let's think about let's think about why they might be doing that you know, maybe not just tell them off. Are they sitting in one of those child chairs that they can't stand and they just want to be with sitting with you and probably going to be absolutely fine, but you just think, no, I'll ignore them and it'll get better. I don't think that sort of thing generally helps and it doesn't help anyone else in the restaurant either. That's right, because your child's screaming yeah. for longer. And that's one, one thing that shows, I think, Archie doesn't do a lot of screaming, just in general. You know, I take him on a flight coming home from Serbia yeah, in the cab for an hour, flight for six hours, we were at the airport for three, then we had a 15-hour flight, then it's an hour hour drive home. No screaming, zero, none. Also, the fact that you're not working and you're able to cater to it, but at the same time, it's really just... Privilege. We can just get it out there. It's called no, privilege. it's not really... <laughs> it's how you're shaping your life, which That's I'll get you well. back on another uh, podcast okay. for that one. Uh, yes, okay. But, okay. Um, okay, you're sitting at a cafe and we're having a coffee together. It's, look, Archer's being a bit, you know, angsty. Could you mind if we move on in a second? Just being aware and, yeah, being okay with that, catering to his needs, but then when it's necessary, he is able to sit still because of that yes because he gets his he knows he'll get his needs met later uh, something interesting i should say a good example of it is like so imagine a child is a person not a child but a person and imagine they're an adult and how would you treat that adult if they were crying in a cafe so if i was there with you and we're at we're at a cafe and you start crying because you want to move your seat or you, do you know what I mean? You feel upset for some reason. I'm not going to be like, excuse me. I'm just going to ignore this because you are just trying to get my attention. Uh, well, yes, of course. Of course my friend is trying to get my attention. He's sad. I'm going to see what's wrong. What's wrong, Fred? Why are you crying? Oh, I really just want to move my seat and I'm feeling upset because I didn't get enough sleep last night. Okay, what would help? Coffee. What can I do to help you? Coffee and then a walk. I can do that. You know what I mean? Like if you just reframe the way you think about it. The way you said that just sounded exactly like teenage bitchiness when you just don't understand another person and how to interact with people. It's just let's be adults here. 
when someone messages you and they don't message back. It's not that they hate, like, we're all adults, yeah, we all have lives. Just, let's be realistic. Care about other people and they'll care about you. We'll wrap that up there for this this podcast. Yep. Thank you so much okay. for, for coming on today. Hope we can kind of get a bit on your business work at some point and you want to do another one on how we're shaping our lives now yeah thank you very much um all right well thank you for having me is there anywhere um if someone wants to look you up or anything do you have anything in place at the moment i do have an instagram page but i don't really use it that much i'm going to start something and another time and i guess i'll get back yeah to when we get something up um i'll put it in the show notes and thank you i've got something in the back of my head so hopefully soon absolutely <laughs> thank you Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. We'll be getting Maria back very shortly to talk about her work lifestyle as it's quite different to your standard. So stay tuned. Like us on Facebook at Curious Emu, Instagram at Curious.emu and follow my personal Instagram at Curious Freddy. Stay curious, guys.